Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? My name is Grant. Great to have you here. And man, it's just an honor. I really, really appreciate you hanging out with us. I know there's a lot of podcasts, a lot of things you could be doing with your day, with your life, but you decided to hang out with us. It really means a lot. You will not be disappointed today because we've got a great guest for you that I think is going to give you a little kick in the pants, a little motivational, inspirational bits of nuggets and knowledge and all that jazz. Yeah, so we got some good stuff. Hey, before we get into that, I want to remind you that we are offering a limited number of coaching spots available. We've had several people that have reached out and inquired about this. And so we've kind of been like, yeah, I don't know, maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. And so finally, we're like, okay, I feel like we can really help some people, some people that are stuck, who need some business in their career, in their business, in their life. And so we are opening up a limited number of coaching spots. So if you are interested at all, don't ding around, don't miss out on this, because when they're gone, they're gone. And whenever they're gone, we're not going to open it up for a while. So I don't want you to miss out on this. If you're serious about crushing it in 2015, this is your chance for us to go on that journey with you. So you can go to grantbaldoncom slash coaching. Again, that's grantbaldoncom slash coaching. Check that out. See what you think. See if it's a fit. Reach out to us. Let us know if you got questions. And uh, let's make something happen, Captain. All right. Today, we've got a great interview with my friend Scott Dinsmore of liveyourlegend.net. Scott, he lives this story of what we talk about on the show all the time of helping people find and do work they love. So really good dude, really good story, and we do what we do for the same reason. So really dig Scott and excited to share his story and journey with you. So let's get into it, my friends. Here's my interview with Scott Dinsmore. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my friend Scott Dinsmore, Live Your Legend, a guy that is helping people change the world by doing work that you love. And obviously, it's something we talk a lot about on the show. So I'm excited to have Scott and share his message with you today. So Scott, what is up, man? How you doing? Oh, great. It's an honor to be here, man. This is fun. I'm excited. Yeah, let's get into it. So you have this site, liveyourlegend.net, and you teach people about finding and pursuing work that they love. That's a mantra we preach a lot here. So you've got the blog, but give us just kind of an overview of your business and, and what it is that you do. Yeah. So it all started with, like most of us, with a really miserable job. And I just thought, this was like 10 years ago, some big Fortune 500 company that I was supposed to be really proud to have. And it was just miserable. I thought there must be a better way. And actually quit with the goal of finding something I could screw up because like, I had no impact on anything and I had to frame it in the negative, I guess. But anyway, I went on this journey and made these discoveries for myself of like, what do the inspired, passionate, excited people have in common? And then what do the other 80% or so have in common that are keeping them from doing the things they care about? And I found some pretty simple and pretty powerful similarities. And we call that, we should call it our passionate work framework, which we can probably get into as we discuss. But it's like three simple things. And I started to meet with people just over lunch and just friends and stuff that heard that I was into this. And it got to the point where 80% of the people I'd have lunch with would quit their job within like two or three months. And nice. it wasn't because I had anything too magical. I was really just asking people questions they didn't ask themselves. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? And a lot of times the response is because I'm supposed to. Right. And whenever someone says it out loud, it's like an automatic pattern interrupt. And anyway, that led to me seeing, wow, there's like, a real problem here. I can help people with this. And then I started to learn about online business and just leveraging today's tools and things and, and then building that into what has now become Libya Legend. And so really the way I describe it is we help people find and do work they love by 
surrounding themselves with the people who make it possible. So what I've noticed is that you can have the best career tools on the planet if you were able to find them wherever they are. I'm not saying ours are the best. Ours work and, and I'm proud of them. But let's say you're the best in the world. They'd be useless if your friends told you you were stupid for using them. Right. You would never try or you'd give up too early. So Live Your Legend first was just about these career tools to walk people through the process I used to do with clients and things. But now the underlying foundation is surroundings and environment and the, the belief that the fastest way to do the things you don't think can be done is to hang around people already doing them. So we now, that's like actually our biggest flagship, like paid course and also a bunch of the free stuff we offer is about community environment, all like Jim Rohn, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And we now actually have in-person communities all over the world, which I think we're at like 300 cities in like 70 countries or something by my last count last week. But we can get into all this. Um, anyway, that's a kind of very quick overview. Why do you think it is like of all of the variables that make someone successful, quote unquote, why is it do you think that the people that they surround themselves with is such a high factor over like so many other things that they could be doing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard for me to answer why I think that, but I just, I can answer that just factually. It is just reality. Like right. you go back to like 1898 when Norman Triplett measured cyclists and he measured their speed when they were cycling alone and cycling as a group. And they always blew out their time when they were cycling as a group. They just performed better. And it was later coined as social facilitation. And just the people around you will make, even just the audience really of anybody will make someone perform better on average than if they were by themselves. But then if you make that audience or that group of people high achievers and high performers, your standards are going to go up. Now, the scary thing and the reality of that is most people, the recent studies by Deloitte and by Gallup and things say it's something like 75 to 80% of people don't like their work or disengage with their work. That means on average, the people around you are not the ones raising your standard. They're pulling you down. They don't even realize they're pulling you down, but they are. And that's why you need to take it so seriously who you hang around with and who you spend time with. And it goes for everything. You know, it goes for running a marathon. It goes for you know, giving a presentation. I mean, losing weight, you know, that I don't remember where the research is from, but I mean, you can probably find it on the internet quickly. But it's something like, you know, if your friends are overweight, you're going to be overweight too. Yeah. But even if your friend lives in New York and you live in San Francisco, you're much more likely to be overweight. And recent studies found that your friend's friends if they're overweight, you're more likely to be overweight. So it's so deeply rooted in who we are. I mean, we're like social animals and we're built to work together. I mean, that's how serotonin, ox I guess it's oxytocin is the main like connection chemical that goes on in your body. That's just how it works. And so it, the scary thing is that we're kind of in a place today where all these wonderful online tools that allow things like this conversation to happen and allow us to have a business like we do with Live Your Legend, they're also making people feel like, they don't need to get into the real world and do this stuff and connect. Right. And face, people think a Facebook friend is a real friend and they just right. it couldn't be farther from reality. And so that's why we're you know, out there trying to fight that fight. Yeah, totally makes sense. Let's backtrack a little bit. So I know today you're in the Bay Area. Yep. Did you grow up out there? Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. I grew up about 30 miles east of here in a little town called Alamo or Danville. Danville. I want to say I spoke out there years ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, Maybe. Place, yeah, but. yeah. But anyway, so uh, like growing up, what was it that you wanted to do with life? I remember the first thing I wanted to do was be an undercover police officer. Come on now. And I don't know where that was from. I mean, 21 Jump Street, I think, was popular then. That was one <laughs> thing. Um, dating myself. But, and then 
that stuck with me for a while. Then I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. I just thought they were yeah. so elite, so badass. They were just a, a living example that people are capable of so much more than they give themselves credit for. And, and they're just and super actually, cool. Well, and they're just totally badass. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, and that has actually become an underlying foundation. I talked about that passionate work framework. One of the three pillars is doing your own impossible, showing yourself you can do the things that you didn't think could be done. And I always thought a Navy SEAL is just a perfect example. Like people aren't, for the most part, born Navy SEALs. They figure out how to train people to realize that they can do these inhuman type things, you know? So that's cool. No, it kind of reminds me of, and I know you mentioned you've done some marathons, some ultra marathons. I've done a, a couple of marathons, a couple of triathlons, a couple of half marathons. Nice. And, and yeah, when you like anyone you talk to about doing one, whether they feel like they're an athlete or not, the idea of doing a marathon just, it feels impossible. Like it, yeah. it's great that someone can do it, but I'm not that person. But once you've done it, then it totally changes your mentality. And it's like, you know, I haven't been training for anything, but I know I could go out and do one right now and it wouldn't be pretty yeah. and I'd be sore for a while, but it just changes changes the mentality of what you think is actually possible once you kind of expand your boundaries there. Yeah. And that's such a powerful thing to like, to know, like your just psychology has changed forever that if you have to cover 26 miles, you will just do it. Yeah. And that will change as you go up the chain. I mean, I, last year I've actually never run a sanctioned marathon. I've done the distance before, but also last year I did a 50 mile race. I shouldn't call it a race cause it was like a hobble <laughs> and I almost got last place just with my buddy. Pass, pass or fail. <laughs> But yeah, right. It was just to see like, what could this be done? And it took almost 14 hours, but like, and it was not pretty. But then you just start to think like, if I can do that, or if I can run a mile when I didn't tell myself I could, if I could run five or 10, what could I do in the rest of my life? And it's like this Trojan horse yep. that is crazy powerful. I mean, the example, I'm sure you've used this before is with Roger Bannister in the four minute mile. And right. it's like you have, since the beginning of time, it's impossible for a human to break a four minute mile. And then Roger Bannister does it in like, was it 1954 or something? And then within two months, his biggest competitor beats his time. And then another dozen people do it in like a year. And there's, I mean, the body takes, I don't know how many thousands of years it takes for the body to physically evolve to be faster, but I guarantee it's not a month. (laughs) And their minds just all of a sudden realize, oh wait, so a human can do this. Then I guess maybe my body can do it too. I think that's so magical and so real. Yeah, and I think that's where so much of that human connection comes from, that being around like-minded people that are doing things in a way that you want to do it, once you're around them and you start to get the sense like, okay, if they can do it, then of course I could do it. I had a similar experience with, or I guess my wife had that experience. My first half marathon, she was about, I don't know, maybe six months pregnant or so. Mm-hmm. And so she came just to spectate, has never been a runner at all. And so she's watching. And I remember afterwards, she was like, if all of these jokers can do it, then surely I can. <laughs> and within like, Six, seven months after giving birth, she ran a half marathon, you know, and it's just kind of like you just surround yourself with people that are doing something similar. And it's like, okay, if they can do it, then it just almost forces you and almost peer pressures you in a good way to to up your game. Yeah. And, you know, you can do this. Sometimes I feel bad giving this example, but it's just it's real for anyone. Find someone who you think that you could outperform and (laughs) that is doing things that you tell yourself you couldn't do. And the marathon is perfect. I use fitness because one, it's totally in our control. I mean, yeah, you could be injured or disabled or whatever, but it's in your capacity to move forward. Like no one can tell you, you can't try it. Right. And so I love that. And so like anyone like on this call, like look at your local town or city and see when the next marathon is and show up to the marathon finish line at four hours after it starts. 
and watch the shape and sizes and ages of people that cross the finish line. You will not believe when you see the 50 pounds overweight 60 year old man cross the finish line at four hours. Four hours is a great time. Yeah. And and so you see that and it's like, okay, hold on a second. Like I'm half his age or whatever. Like you got to brainwash that and show yourself like that these excuses are just, they're milestones waiting to be accomplished, I guess. And fitness is tangible. It's easy to see, but that goes for everything else too. I had a similar experience with fitness standpoint. I, a couple months ago, I did a hundred mile century bike ride and oh, it, was, it was the first one I'd done. And so I'm cruising along probably a half, two thirds of the way through and starting to feel it. And I'm biking along this one guy and we're just chatting it up. And he's like the third oldest guy in the race. And he's, you know, in his sixties and I'm half his age, just like, what the crap? Like if this guy can do it, then surely I can finish, you know, but yeah, there's huge value in being around those people. So let me ask yeah. you this. So you're growing up. Are you just planning on doing the corporate thing? I mean, even though the, you have the ideas of the being the Navy SEAL or doing uh, the undercover yeah. cop, are you just thinking like, well, I'm just going to follow the traditional path and get into corporate and just kind of go down that road? Or what are you kind of thinking is going to become an option for you? I don't feel like I've ever been asked that question about when I was that young of like, was I thinking about getting into corporate? And the answer is, I have no idea. That's a scary thing. I'm sure I just assumed, yeah, that's what everyone does. And so I just thought, okay, you got to get good grades and do the SATs or whatever, you know, all that stuff. And I actually, in, in school, in middle school, I was like a really bad, rebellious, defiant kid. Like I held, I think it was, I was tied with for first place with my <laughs> best friend for a number of detentions and Saturday schools. And we weren't doing like anything really bad, but we were just pains in the asses and right. just kind of causing trouble, causing you know headaches for our parents, whatever. And I don't really know what happened, but when I got to high school, for some reason, I just decided, all right, let's get serious. I ended up getting something like a 4.0 or a 4.1 or something like doing the AP classes, whatever, right. and worked really hard. The only thing I can link it to is going to an hour bound outdoor two week thing after eighth grade graduation. But still, that didn't feel like it was the moment then. Who knows what it was? Anyway, so I just didn't think that far ahead. It was more just like, yeah, I mean, I want to do well. And it gives me a good feeling in my body to do well at these things with school and things like that. And then, same when I got to school and got to college, I started to think more about it because I started to notice it more. Like, my dad was an entrepreneur or early in young companies and was a part of them growing and things like that. So I got to see a little bit of that. I was too young to really experience it. I wish I would have been 10 years older when he was in all that because I think it would have been even more priceless. But he's still my chief strategist, informally and formally. (laughs) So anyway, I had those ideas, but never really thought about it until I got into college a bit and then started to see, okay, this is what people are doing. But still, it took work to even seek those people out. What was the, when you were doing the Fortune 500 company, what were you doing? So I was a distribution planner at The Gap there nice. in downtown San Francisco, international division. I just come back from a year living in Spain. I did really well in college. I was super proud. I got, you know, I graduated top 5% of my class and, you know, high honors, all this stuff and went through the like job application process and couldn't get a job. And I interviewed, I remember, with Intuit, which was like one of the companies I really wanted to work with, right. half because I think people told me I was supposed to and half because it sounded interesting. And I had even done an honors thesis on the specific topic I was interviewing on, which I thought, oh my God, I have this nailed. They yeah. flew me out for a whole day. It was really cool, really like rewarding. And I just got turned down. And that made me feel awful and also made me have no reason to come back from my six-week graduation trip when I went around <laughs> Europe. And yeah. so I stayed for the year. And lived in Sevilla in Spain 
where I had studied abroad and, and knew some people and had a little English teaching business there and was a tour guide on the weekends. So that opened up my mind tremendously to a different way of thinking about life. And, but I came back and still listened to my old school mentors and got the job with the big training company or training program at the big company. Now, nothing wrong with Gap like specifically. I think there's a lot of people that it jives with and, and fits well. I think the big problem with any of this stuff is not being in alignment with your values, your talents, your passions, your strengths, and the work you're doing day to day. Right. Like it's possible that I could have found something in the gap that I could have been 10 times more excited about. Now, given that I am more of like an entrepreneur and I want to build things from scratch, the big company is not as good a fit for me in general. But that's what I think some people miss. Like I'm not about like, like, hey, like bring down corporations, like whatever. It's like, no, like it's just be intentional. Like go work at a 100,000 person company, but only if you've identified what they do, what their why is, their purpose, and you care enough about that and how it relates to who you are and what you can add value to, that you decide it's worth pursuing. But I feel like it goes the opposite way. It's like brand name, status, salary is how I decide, and all of a sudden you're in a place that you're not proud of. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing we talk a lot about on the show in general is just that whether you want to be an entrepreneur or not, or whether you just want to work for a company, not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur and that's fine. Just finding something that you're genuinely, you look forward to and Monday morning isn't something that you dread, but something that you get amped up by and something that you get excited by. So I guess if you recognize you've kind of got that entrepreneur in your blood and you go over to Spain and you have a cool experience, why did you end up coming back and taking a corporate gig? I mean, I'd always planned to come back and I love my friends and family and people at home. And I had a girlfriend who's now my wife who I was desperately hoping to win over after <laughs> spending my year abroad. And she's in the other room right now. She's my chief balance officer. She's amazing. Nice. But I just, when I came back, I thought, okay, I'm going to do things different. Like the Spaniards, they clearly prioritize community and happiness over money. They work to live as opposed to live to work. And yeah, I know their economy isn't great, but God, you spend time with them on a daily basis. They're just happy and they're just excited. And I think when I came back, it's the environment thing. I came back and I was around all my other friends who had already gotten jobs and I felt like I was behind. And then you even talk to some people older who have, I had a couple like entrepreneurial mentors, but then others that had gone through just the regular corporate gig, whatever, and they kind of suggested doing the, the big business corporate thing training program, which I think there is some value in that and seeing how that stuff works. And I'm so grateful for having that experience because it taught me, one, that's never going to happen to me again. And two, why was that? What went wrong? And I think that's a big thing to realize is like things don't always go right. And often it's the stuff that goes really wrong that teaches you the most and allows you to then correct and improve. Because I think all of this stuff for all of us is just an ongoing experiment. It's either a series of a million little experiments or just one big one. And you're just always learning, correcting, and then moving forward. So that's what happened with me. I kind of just listen, fell back into the product of my environment. There's no way I would have gotten a corporate gig if I stayed living out in Spain. That just wasn't what people were talking about. Right. You know, but I got back to San Francisco and that's all they talked about. How long were you with the gap before you decided like, I mean, it's okay. It's not good. It's not great. It's somewhere. I don't know what it is. It's somewhere yeah. in the middle there. How long were you with them before you decided to, to pull the ripcord and try to find something different? Yeah. So, I mean, you hear this a lot like, oh, at least stick around you know, keep a good, you want to look out on your resume, stick around for at least two years, you know, and then go on to something else. And I got there, I was really excited. I was fired up. And after, I think after about three weeks, maybe a month, I realized this is just not me. Like my job can be done in like two hours. Then I have to act busy and which is a very bad thing to train anybody, right? <laughs> to act busy. 
And my job was even automated in number of competitors. And so and I was trying to think, okay, like I started to think about that advice. Well, I don't want to be like seen as a guy who jumps around. And then I remember hearing the quote from Warren Buffett, taking a job just to build up a resume is like saving up sex for old age. <laughs> and I mean, Warren Buffett, he's like the ultimate investor, right? But his advice on career and life, I think is even more powerful. Right. And I've been a disciple of his for a very long time. And I just heard that. I'm like, God, like, yeah, life is just too short. Like no one wants you to not like your job. Like no one at, at my company, my bosses, my managers, they didn't want me to not like my job because that costs the company a fortune in output or lack of output. And same with me. So I just realized there's just no way I'd stick around. So I lasted seven months. And during those, at least the last few months, I was just constantly reading, learning, trying things out. I remember the best part about that job was I had a 50-minute commute on a bus or on a train. Mm -hmm. And I just started reading a lot and all kinds of different books, you know, personal development stuff. And I love that because it gave me that space where I wasn't much of a reader before that. And now it like got me just totally hooked on it. And so, that, of course, led to new ideas. So what were some of those new ideas where you're thinking like, okay, I've been here seven months. I can't keep going down this path. I got to get out of this. Do you know immediately you want to be an entrepreneur? Or are you just like, you know, I just maybe I just need to find a different corporate gig doing something more um, aligned with my strengths and passions? Yeah. You know, it wasn't as much like, oh, I need to go out and be an entrepreneur. But I, it was as I started to learn more about different people I met who inspired me, this is something I did ever since being in Spain. I met a lot of the stories you hear when you go outside of your own environment and outside of the US for sure are unbelievable. And there's things you couldn't ever script out. And so as I'd hear these, I would write them down in a journal and just the things that inspired me, the people who inspired me. And I noticed that I, I definitely was drawn to more of the, the smaller environment that you have more control over. So I had a pretty good feeling I was going to work at a much smaller company or at least in a much smaller group, but wasn't planning to launch something. I had ideas, but I remember getting the advice from someone close to me that said, you know, when you quit, just spend three months and don't say yes to anything. Like even if you get what you think is like your dream job offer, you have to give yourself space to understand what went wrong, what you can do about it, and then where you actually want to go. Right. And so I did, I waited three months and I treated it like a full-time job. I remember I still have like the spreadsheets I made of six hours a day. At least I was spending getting in touch with people, meeting with people, going through what colors your parachute, which is, you know, a priceless book, kind of the, right. the seminal book on job career change, whatever. And so right about when the three months was up, I remember randomly going to a bachelor party of my brother, now brother-in-law, my sister was marrying him. And I didn't want to go because I didn't know anybody. I'm like, they're a lot older than I am. And it was in Santa Barbara where I'd gone to college. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to go. Like, this is, I feel kind of weird, but whatever. And I go and I emailed my old marketing professor, who was like one of the few people who really had an impact in my college career and has become a good friend. And um, he actually was the first one who introduced me to the idea of personal branding um, in his class, which Tom Peters article, The Brand You, the whole thing, which yeah. set this ripple effect. But anyway, I said, hey, let's get together. And I met with him. And he's like, hey, what are you up to? I said, oh, I just quit my job. I didn't like it. I kind of told him the story. And he was telling me about this new preventive healthcare startup he was working with. And it turns out the guys who started it were guys I had known. They were in their PhD program when I was at, in college, undergraduate. Anyway, we just had a cool discussion. It sounded exciting. The next day, he emails me. and says, hey, do you want to work with me at this company? And I'm like, what? Like, that sounds incredible. Like, I mean, I didn't say yes immediately. I wanted to, but I, you know, we talked about it for a week and I said yes. But it was a small company. I was like the sixth person or something. 
And now they're a fair amount bigger and they've done well. I stayed there for two years and that was my first experience of really being deeply connected and passionate about what we were doing. Like health is huge in our lives and this was, it was like offering at-home tests for diabetes and different forms of cancers and things and and it was with a group of people that I loved. It was just, I miss that still. Like I email them and we're good friends and I'll say, man, like I, the days of, you know, being in the war room at BioIQ, like that was the best, you know, like I, I love what I do now, but the team part of it was so cool. And that just showed me like, wow, like this is amazing. And I remember when I left, I told the CEO, who's was a good friend. I said, hey man, I'm, I, I got to go out and do my own thing. And he just came outside with me and said, Scott, he's like, my goal with all of the people that work with us is to eventually the reason they leave is because they either get hired by a big company and a big VP level position, or they go out and start their own business. He's like, hmm. you're welcome back anytime you want, but I hope you never come back. And it was just <laughs> the most amazing thing. And it just shows the character of this guy. And that of course gave me much more confidence to pursue what I was going after, which is another point to think about, like as people who are listening are thinking about making a big change and whether it's starting something on their own or just changing jobs, if you've done a good job at your current role and have, have done good work and been helpful, which I recommend anyone do, no matter what you think of the current role, still make the best of it right. and leave a good impression. Well, often if you go out and try something and you fail, whatever that means, for most people, they can come back and be welcomed back by their employer and they'd be happy to bring them back or by a competitor or whatever, because you know, that is you know your area of expertise. But most people assume like, if they try something that doesn't work, they're going to be on the street, you know, starving. Right. But actually, like, valuable, talented people of high integrity aren't as common as they should be. And so right. you usually can go back to your old gig. And then, of course, if that's the case, if your worst case is your current case, then you have no reason not to go out and get after it. Sure. Once you left the medical company, is that when you started the blog and, and what Live Your Legend is today started to evolve and take shape? I actually started the blog right I think it was more or less right after I quit Gap because I had read a, I'd go to the bookstore and get a bunch of books and read the first chapter and see which ones were intriguing. And I read one that said you can start a blog without knowing code. And, or not a blog, you can start a website. And it was called Internet Riches, which is a funny title. But I've since gotten to know the author and he, he says that he had some other title ideas, but you know how it goes with publishing. But anyway, so I said, you know, I like a challenge. Let me try that. And I hacked together this website that was hideous, and I was so proud of it. And <laughs> I'm actually doing a, an article on Live Your Legend probably this week about every a screenshot from every stage of my website since 2006 when nice. I first got online. And it's not pretty. But that's the point is like you want to be able to look back and say that wasn't pretty because then you're always improving. Anyway, I made this, and it's called Reading for Your Success. And it was pretty much a, a blog for book reviews and recommendations of personal development books I was reading. I had no idea it was a blog. Um, I don't even know if the word blog was used then. I didn't find out until four years later that it was, I guess, a blog. But So I did that on the side, and that was fun. I'd come home from the company in Santa Barbara and just fired up to like write a review or you know tweak things on the site. And no one paid attention, though. I mean, literally, like nobody. My wife and my parents, and that's about it. I had about 112 subscribers. Like all of them were people I knew in the real world who weren't actually paying attention. They were just being supportive. Right, right. Um, and that went on for four years before then it became Live Your Legend. How did that transition go? Because I know you've got a TEDx talk that's been a real catalyst in your overall blog and business and brand. Um, so when did that come into play and how did that shift and pivot your business? Um, yeah, so I what was neat is, so 
the gap there, and there was a, a number of years, when I quit the company in Santa Barbara, I started an investment fund modeled after Warren Buffett's work when he was about 30 years old in the 50s and 60s, and with a good friend of mine, the guy actually I lived in Spain with, I had a business out there with, which was really fun. We loved it. Ran that for five years. But as I was doing Live Your Legend or reading for success on the side, it was clear that that was where my passions and talents were and where I could really help people. And then, and also over time, it became a much bigger business and more certain income, which is surprising, just because you'd think a finance company would be the, would be the winner. Right. Um, and the company, we did well, and we did well for investors, and it was a great thing, but ended up returning the money to go, to go full on Live Your Legend a, a couple years ago. So what happened was when I had four years of running Reading for Success, like zero growth, like no new subscribers, no new traffic, whatever. And then I met some people, specifically like Corbett Barr, who is a uh, founder of Fizzle, Leo Babauta from Zen Habits, met them online and then met them in San Francisco and dozens of others, both online and in person, that became my Roger Bannister moment where all these people around me all of a sudden were, had these unbelievable businesses and that leveraged online, the internet, the tools to help people in meaningful ways and allow them to live these great lifestyles. So that just got me incredibly motivated. When I was about to shut my site down, I met these people and went just went nuts and from then on, I think Live Your Legend grew. I rebranded it to Live Your Legend because all the time spent spinning my tires was actually very valuable because I learned what things were helpful for people. Like when I had lunch, I knew what resonated with them. And I think that's why it always needs to start with how can you change one life? Ideally right. face-to-face because then you can really feel what it's about. It's not about creating an online business. People really miss that. Like that is the medium. That is the technology. But <laughs> – that is not like what you're doing. You know, it's the underlying thing. How is that adding value to people? So, which is why I love, you know, starting in person like you do with all the speaking you've done. You know so intimately how to help people because you've done it so much in the real world, seen their faces, seen their, you know, body language. Anyway, so launched Live Your Legend within six months, it grew by 10x. And within another 12 months, it grew by 160x. And and now it has, I think we have over 100,000 people from every country in the world that use our career and connection tools on a monthly basis. And hmm. that was all starting from meeting those people. That is when everything changed and showed me what was possible. And the TEDx came about a year after Live Your Legend was born. And that definitely put us on a totally new trajectory too. I mean, I got invited to do that as a secondary stand-in six days before the actual event, and which was crazy. But I'm glad I didn't have the nine months that every other speaker had because I would have totally overprepared <laughs> in Scott Dinsmore fashion, like Parkinson's law. If I have nine months, I will take nine months. And anyway, I gave that talk. And I, I remember going into it saying, I am going to do everything in my power to give a talk that I feel is worthy of the TED.com homepage. Right. Now, obviously, I'm not in control of that. They have however they decide what goes on the homepage. But I wanted to show up in a way that... I was did everything I could for that. And it was funny, like, I feel like a lot of people that do these things, like, let's say a, a TEDx talk or TED talk, because it's a very, that's a pretty intense, emotional, stressful thing. Right. People think more short-sighted about it. And they'll, they'll maybe have a goal of, I just want to get through this. Like, I just want to get through the end of today. And because it is very intense and stressful. But I don't know. I just thought this has the potential. It could change everything. It probably won't, but it could. And I rarely get these chances. So I just went crazy with it. And I just, I mean, I rehearsed. I don't even want to talk about how many hours I put in those six days. But I've written about it a lot on Live Your Legend. And then when I went live, I also did a ton to get the word out. And 
I remember telling people, a lot of my friends online, I said, hey, I just gave this talk. I'm really proud of it because I was. Actually, it turned out really well. And I said, I'd love for you to share it with your community, but only if you think it will be helpful. Like, watch it. If you think it will help them, share it. If not, do not. Like, do not share this as a handout because you're my friend. Right. And then that helped it get some initial traction. But then now it's, I mean, I don't know, it's something like almost 2 million views, which is hard for me to believe. And it definitely totally change the trajectory of Live Your Legend. Yeah. And I've watched that. I've watched the video and it's, I mean, it's a phenomenal video. And so people definitely nice. need to go check that out. We'll link up to that in the show notes. Let's cool. wrap up with this. For someone that may be listening to this, maybe they're doing their thing, whether it's a blog or a podcast, or they're trying to start something on the side, maybe something on Etsy, or they're doing some little thing and maybe they've been doing it for three or four years and they just feel like they're spinning their wheels. They're not, not making any traction. What would you say to them? What would you say to yourself when you were at that spot and kind of that make or break dip period where it's like, man, do I, you know, do you sink or swim or do I throw it in the towel and go a different direction? What advice right. would you give to someone that may be listening in that spot? I mean, the main advice is ask yourself what you think you should be doing that you're not. Because most people know. They know that, you know, they should be out on the phone or they should be out in person. They should be on stage, whatever, but they're not because they're scared. And that's just reality. And for the most part, I bet if people are at that place or three years into it, it's probably because they're not doing the thing that they fear most that can make the biggest difference. I mean, that TEDx talk was the scariest thing that I've ever done. It was like nuts. And I almost said no to it. Like I said no to it multiple times until like, I don't know, it just got to a point where it's like, okay, this is clearly the thing to do. But my week could have been much more mellow if I would have said no. So think about that. What is it? Now, it generally involves selling. And when I say selling, I just mean communicating your idea, your why, what you care about to people. So, and all different levels, you know, like Live Your Legend didn't grow at all until I started writing articles for other people's sites, which means I had to pitch those people on why I felt I could write something for their audience. And, and then I got on a stage, you know, which is another way of like selling. Yeah, you're not supposed to like sell from the stage. I don't mean like selling a product. I just mean getting people bought into why you care about what you're working on and why right. it matters. And so that's the thing. And so if you, people think on a really big, macro scale a lot. And it's like, you know, how do I, they might hear like the number I gave out, like a hundred thousand people. And they think, Oh my God, like that's such a big gap. And realize though that, and sometimes I, I try not to use those numbers sometimes because it'll throw people off. And it's a hundred thousand is the same as one person. It's just, you know, a hundred thousand X, but right, right. the danger is I can start to think, you can start to look at numbers and stats. And I think it's harder to, to humanize that when you have one person and you're face to face and you're trying to help them, that's real. And that's how you learn. And so if you're having, if you're stuck somewhere, like if you're creating art or whatever, like stop trying to sell a thousand this month, like try to sell one until one person who you know needs it and would love it and then do another one and then they will refer you. So like we recently did a workshop on how to make your first thousand dollars. And, and I remember in the beginning, I said, listen, actually my goal is to get you to make your first dollar because when you do one, that's your Roger Bannister moment. It changes your belief of what you can do. Yeah. But also it gets you in tune with how do you offer value to people in a way they actually need it. As opposed to you going up and saying, ooh, I can create this and I'm going to try and sell it to someone. Like That just doesn't work. Right. And it just it's a surefire way to fail. So if you're thinking about – the easiest way to think about this is instead of the old school way of design something, build it, and then sell it. Sell it first, then design it, then build it. So by sell it first, that could mean actually getting them to pay you for it. As long as you tell them you haven't made it yet yeah. um, and say you're going to make it in conjunction with them, which is how we've built everything at Live Your Legend, or just sell the idea. Like get out there and make sure people desperately need it and then design it ideally by asking them what they want designed 
and then build it and then offer it. And you almost completely eliminate the risk of a failure, which is, it sounds so simple, but it, that's just the magic. So yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, to wrap up here for someone that wants to find out more about you or check out the TEDx talk, where can we go? Cool. So, I mean, everything lives at leaveyourlegend.net. We have 95% of our stuff or more is totally free. We have a bunch of product quality, free toolkits and workbooks and things. If you go to leaveyourlegend.net slash toolkit, you can download all kinds of good stuff totally for free. So check that out and then you'll find the other things we're working on there too. But all I really care about is that you just start doing something that you care about and everything else will start to work out. Beautiful. Well said. We'll definitely we'll send people that way and make sure that they check that out. Especially check out that toolkit. There's some great stuff, great resources, great free uh, tools in there. So make sure you stop by and check that out. So Scott, thanks for the time, man. We'll catch up with you again soon. Awesome, Grant. It's a pleasure, man. Thanks for doing what you're doing. You bet, buddy. All right, boys and girls, hope you enjoyed that interview with Scott Dinsmore of LiveYourLegend.net. Again, make sure you stop by. You register at his site at LiveYourLegend.net. He's got a free toolkit there. You can check out just phenomenal, chock full of good stuff there. And just browse through his blog there because, again, he's got some really good stuff there on just, again, finding and doing work you love. Really good guy. So make sure you check that out, LiveYourLegend.net. Or if you'd like, you can go to GrantBaldwin.com. You can find the show notes, links, everything that we discussed there. You can find as well as relates to this show and what Scott is up to. Hey, as I mentioned to you at the top of the show, we're going to be doing a webinar tomorrow. You don't want to miss out on this. You can go to grantbaldon.com slash webinar and uh, register for that. If you are interested at all in becoming a speaker and getting into speaking and figuring out how to get booked to speaking, how to get paid to speak, we're going to be going over a bunch of different strategies and tactics tomorrow on that. You can go to grantbaldon.com slash webinar. Make sure you register for that so you don't miss out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope to see you there, my friends. Also, I mentioned to you, we are doing a survey right now. We want to get some feedback from you. So if you're a regular listener to the show, we would love for you to uh, provide us, hook us up with your two cents. You can go to grantbaldon.com slash survey. Again, that's grantbaldon.com slash survey. There, it's just a very, very short survey. I know that you're busy. I know you have a lot going on, so I don't want to waste your time. Just a short survey there to incentivize you. We're going to be giving away an Amazon gift card. So you can register to win that by just filling out the survey. We're going to be doing that giveaway at the end of this week. So make sure that you jump in, be a part of that. Again, grandwaldoncom slash survey. Hey, uh, also, if you haven't had a chance, make sure that you subscribe to the show. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know what you think. And we'd love for you to leave us some feedback on the show. That always helps to know that we're making a difference and helps other people find the show. I love this feedback we got recently from Rykus. Rykus where? I think. I don't know how you pronounce that. Anyway, he says, have you ever seen, or they say, have you ever seen Finding Nemo? Remember Dory? Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. First of all, I love that movie. He says, we take that mantra and apply it here. Just keep listening. Just keep listening. Because I know from firsthand experience, you will continue to identify with both Grant and his guests. You will love the continual knowledge biscuits that he is baking every show. Great work, Grant. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate that great review. Hey, feel free to leave us a review at grantbaldon.com slash iTunes. Would love to hear from you. All right. I think that wraps up this show, boys and girls. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. hope you're inspired to take action. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.